having prepared myself for this moment for so long, I failed to believe that it would ever arrive. She's doing all the verbal wrestling to try to get her way out of this situation, and Fassbender is stonewalling her. You don't want to blink through that. To talk about this advanced technique, we brought in one of David Fincher's collaborators, editor Kirk Baxter, who made masterpieces like The Social Network, Gone Girl, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, and most recently, The Killer. In this masterclass interview, Kirk breaks down his signature David Fincher editing style, how he choreographed the brute fight scene in The Killer, how he uses music to raise tension, and how vertical sound editing creates dynamic transitions. He explored how he overcame the challenges in the sniper sequence of The Killer, and explained how David Fincher's massive volume filming style is perfect for an editor. This interview was recorded with Riverside. We use it to record every remote interview for our show. It's an absolute necessity. It's been one of our most reliable tools for our workflow. This is online software that records your screen, your camera, and audio all separately and uploads it to the cloud. That means you can end up with multiple files that you can edit separately, giving you full creative control in the edit. It also doesn't give you bad recording quality like other video call softwares do. It gives you 4K footage. It looks professional as frick. Also, if your connection drops during the interview, it doesn't matter because Riverside records locally, so no footage will ever get lost. More than just recording, Riverside has amazing post-production tools as well to help you create your show as fast as possible. Riverside generates AI transcriptions, which you can use to then do text-based editing on your show. And if you want to introduce the guest, you can pop your script in a teleprompter and off you go. And lastly, you can use Magic Clips. Basically, you can automatically create shorts from your long-form show right in Riverside with the click of a button. You can do everything from pressing record to pressing publish right in Riverside. You can sign up to Riverside for free and use the code EDITINGPODCAST for 20% off the paid version. Back to the conversation. In talking about The Killer, I think we should probably suggest blinking more than Michael Fassbender did in The Killer. Did he really only blink once in the entire movie? One of the many. No, there's, there's, there's blink in there. <laughs> We're conscious of blinks not to turn up in the wrong places. I don't think there was an effort to remove them through the film. It's just the nature of how his performance was. But there's been an effort to remove them in previous films when they're all kind of landing off rhythm. And it's mostly about when you get into the meat, like the point of a scene and you're in close-ups and you want something delivered with intention and purpose. Someone blinking all the way through it tends to dilute what they're saying. I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. If the blinking doesn't happen in a rhythm of the words and it's sort of separated from what's being communicated, it starts to sort of turn into Donald Trump's hands <laughs> where it doesn't have a rhythm of what's being said. That's the main thing we're looking for is, is for everything to feel like it has intention. Is there a moment in The Killer that that, that that was really important for you to make that work? When he sits down opposite Tilda. She's, you know, doing all the verbal wrestling to try to get her way out of this situation. For what it's worth. I would never have involved your female friend. And Fassbender is stonewalling her. You don't want to blink through that. I objected to his methods and I told him so. So until the side, when she's scrambling, blinks are fine. 
You're here because you couldn't help yourself. So much of it he locks off. So we've got the ability to control the frame and take out what we don't want in the background. And it's his sort of reduction so that all that's left is what's intentional. Um, and anything unintentional tends to stand up. It's something that we discussed with uh, the Star Wars and or editor about a year ago. He's also very conscious of blinking and he would sometimes cover up someone blinking. And so they are kind of staring throughout the whole scene. Are you potentially going to that, maybe that deep level of uh, covering up when someone blinks? We, we digitally remove them in Dragon Tattoo in a couple of spots with Rooney. When I'm in sort of coverage and I'm sort of, you know, selecting listening shots, things like that, then I can just, you know, choose the ones. I'm naturally going to be gravitated towards the ones where it's not there. But if it's a, a performance where it's also dialogue that I'm looking at, the best delivery is going to win the day, whether there's blinks or not. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Then you'll move to digitally removing them. But that wasn't the case in The Killer. We never went that far. I want to think about the what has been attributed to the editing style that you have developed with David Fincher. I think people have said that the exact preciseness, as you've said, and like intention, I've always felt like there's this like hypnotic feel. How would you describe the editing language of uh, David Fincher and for you? What David does for sure always is provide a lot of coverage. That gets misinterpreted as a lot of takes. What he's extremely good at is making sure that I've got the pieces to be able to move around as needed or to keep something exciting or to allow yourself effortlessly um, be editing pretty aggressively so that you can use just the best pieces of everything. David knows these rhythms, he shoots for an editor. So if it's a really long scene, you I'll find in the wide shot that there'll often be blocking, you know, somebody's coming into the room. So you've got a camera moving to set it up. You sort of work your way in as everybody's in a stationary position. In choreography, I can kind of work my way into closer coverage. Someone stands and moves. Now I want to be out of close-ups because there's too much movement in them. I don't want cameras travel with people in a close-up size. So I'm now going to bring myself out wide and then slowly work my way to that close-up. I'm curious. I break into your home in the middle of the night with a silenced pistol. And you have no idea why I might be here. And so that close-up tends to be safe for something important and you don't want someone doing this all the way through it and messing up the dance. Because he's filming from start to finish in a scene, you can be in the close-up at any point that you want anywhere but i'll try my hardest not to use it until it is the main sentence in the scene you know so you work your way into it he loves to shoot over shoulders and they're a lot harder to get because you've got to get you know, your foreground working as well. It's just, if you're in a single, it's just much easier, I think, for a director or an actor to perfect it because you're isolating how much is out of your control. You're, you're isolating the amount of humans. Um, but over shoulders, they're just a bit more wriggly and they take longer to get on the set. He loves them and I love using them. 
it means you can sit in shots longer because you, you can kind of enjoy the foreground talking and you get a sense of the other person. You're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And then it also gives more impact for when you choose to go single frame and get closer. It'll be because you're an asshole. So that generally is what's happening with Scenes with Dave is, is we're trying to remain loose until there's a point to get in tight. Another thing we do usually let, and typically I'm letting the dialogue lead the picture edits. If someone talks, I'll be going to them after their sentence has begun. Is this your wife's handwriting? It's not a handwriting. I think so, it looks like it. Our experts thought so too. You wanna play a little true or false? I look for opportunities where it's not just cut on the line, cut on the line, where, where I can cut to someone where they're listening and then, and, you know, and, and information is being delivered to them and then they speak or someone that I can hold on for a series of lines. So I'm, I'm looking for those gaps so it doesn't become, the edit doesn't become predictable. Pretty much unlimited freedom, make sure you can get everything you have so you really can make sure that those choices are intentional. As you said, when you do want to cut to a close up or you do want to be, it's like Jay cutting into dialogue, it's like you still have as much freedom as possible and to really make sure that that story is told. It's all choreography. It's kind of working out what can be out wide, what deserves to be in close, what, you know, scrubbing through everybody's best listening moments, marking out how to exploit actors' performances that aren't just about talking. It's all of the above. You mentioned choreographing a scene. What does that mean to you? How would you define choreographing? What are the steps that you take to choreograph a scene in your edit when you've got a hundred setups that there's this sort of dynamic thing that that it, it, it's you sort of almost instinctually know what to do with it it just takes a long time to kind of compartmentalize it all and, and sous chef the thing to kind of get it all ready for that one big cook fight only the battle you're paid to fight In the brute scene, it was about the killer losing control. When it's his process, when it's the killer's process, it's exacting, we stretch. And when he is not in control of process, we start jump cutting and, and the camera becomes handheld. That was a sort of a general note with Dave about how to approach the cutting in the movie. So it was the contrast of what leads up to it, which is the stretching. Stick to your plan as he sort of works his way slowly into danger. Anticipate, don't improvise. And then it exploding into violence. Fight only the battle you're paid to fight. And I'm slightly clipping action. I'm just clipping things ever just like eight frames faster. And it's just little tiny bits to sort of go, this is spilling. He does not have a handle on this yet. The fight scene just, there's lots of little stages to it. It's its own little mini movie. Each sort of room that they're in has its choreograph of the fight. So you're gonna get it in a wide. And then certain close-ups have impact. So it's like building a series of little scenes and joining them all together. Then that, the last little bit is the flair of, um, you know, how do you want to present this thing? Do you want to slow it down? Do you want to speed it up? 
it's so relentless that fight that Dave planned for sort of moments of quiet. get a gag in there, like reaching for the weapon, which turns out to be a cheese grater. I call the Indiana Jones moment. And the, the soundtrack, Treadnatic has scored to the cut on that. The music tells you where those gaps are. In the same way that people sort of view choreography almost as song as you think of it on stage. But if you listen to the music, of what it's doing through that scene, it's it's perfectly on a graph showing what the choreography is. Stretch, 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 explode. Give us a pause, explode. Give us another pause, explode. So it's literally almost following song form. It's it's following, you know, that rise and fall and that break and that building the tension and release, all of those things. Yeah, and it's part of what the philosophy was with the film in general. Let's try to do it as a silent film. The slower parts we sort of built without music and then later um, we started to add sort of boiler frog music, which was just that, the undercurrent of, ooh, this feels icky. Where we're not going to rely on music during process and it's only going to be once something kicks off. So you guys know me as the guy who edited these music videos. But what you didn't know is that in this music video, I use Storyblocks to make it happen. Storyblocks is the secret weapon among editors because of its unlimited assets to footage, sound effects, music, graphics, and more. In this GEZ and Tyga music video, I needed a sports graphic of two teams going head to head, but we didn't have time or budget for a graphics artist. So what did I do? I went to Storyblocks and checked out hundreds of different versions of exactly what I needed. I grabbed this stock graphic really quick, changed the fonts and colors, and boom, it was good to go. You can access sound effects, footage, graphics, everything you need right from within your NLE with Storyblocks' plugin. It's probably my favorite way to work. Everything you downloaded from Storyblocks is 100% royalty free with no restrictions on where you can distribute your finished projects. Put it on your YouTube channel, put it on your next music video, your commercial, it doesn't matter. Storyblocks lets you use assets however you want. To get started with unlimited stock media downloads at one set price, hit the link in the description. Another thing we've really noticed is just an overall in your films is the first five minutes, especially of David's films, are like capsules of the entire film itself. Like, for example, in The Social Network, you have the bar scene, which suggests like it's a, a talky Shakespearean film. You have Gone Girl with the petting of the hair. So how is that determined and how do you guys find those first five minutes per se? I mean, that's script. It's David knowing that you got to hook them. So you come into these things and there's a preconceived intention. Um, there's an order that the writer's brought to it. And unless something's going horribly wrong, I usually don't need to mess with that. A lot of what's, what I'm up to is reducing scenes and getting out of them earlier. And, you know, best intentions with dialogue, you don't need all of it. Sometimes we mess around in order. In The Killer, we certainly messed around with what the voiceover was. It kicks off as when the camera comes down and lands on him. It comes much earlier now. It's one of the doing nothing is incredibly difficult. 
That became important to bring that line earlier to allow the audience to sort of go, not a lot's going to happen for a while. If you're unable to endure boredom, this work is not for you. And it's their intention. So you can kind of relax into that. So things like that need to be discovered. You mentioned something about intention. What, is, what does that mean to you in terms of how you approach the editing of the opening? You do sort of have to remind yourself what it's point is so that it's not all tossed away in a wider shot that I allow the choreography the angles to do a lot of the work so you can move your way into the point of a scene and it's not always that the point of a scene wants to be a close-up it just naturally works out that way by the language of cinema does it kind of go into like each scene before you even kind of begin is like what is the intention what is where is it starting where is it ending and then this is the intention of this scene and are you using that to help guide the cuts that you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's sort of, I guess hearing that said back to me, it just sounds so poncy. <laughs> Mostly just surviving. We end up in the positions we're in, not by some sort of formal training, but just by the 10,000 hours. And most of it, still to this day, I begin kind of going, I don't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to learn the footage. I'm going to start working out what what pieces are essential and what bits can I definitely make decisions around. And then once I start making those, other bits start to fall into place. And then once you've got it built out and working, you can then sort of look back and go, okay, now it's easy to pick on what's not smooth or what feels sloppy or what's got too busy, what's overcut. In order for me to get to this good bit here, I've got to cut back and forth five times and there's too much ping pong going on. How do I eliminate the editing and stay in one side for long? It's just, it's just that. It's just massaging and sticking, sticking to it. I find music a useful distraction. The sniper scene came in where all I had was the interior of where the killer was working. A focus tool. I had nothing across. But now I just have a script saying maid walks in, target arrives, prostitute walks into room. I just have written word and I'm filling out the other side with these written words and I'm just sort of going, oh, he's going to sort of follow them over here, he's going to follow them. It's all a bit of a guess, but I can build something with a title card in between and typing up the shots that I'm missing. At first I go through and I'm selecting it. They can get a bit abstract when there's a lot of coverage you know you've got Fassbender with his sort of eye going up to the scope and doing this slowly and back and a series of focus pulls from the scope to his eye to his back and you'll get five or six takes of that then there'll be one that's slightly closer again five or six takes of that one that's slightly wider one that's wide from the side so you've just got all of these pieces doing these long blocks of action and you just got to start saying when did it look its best when was it smooth and building little piles and blocks um, and the wide shots can tell you what the intended choreography was. The best of the big fat close-ups, it's like, when do I have to use that? It's like, there's a wonderful shot of his head slowly coming down to meet it, the scope. That's beautiful. 
then I know once his eyeball first hits it, now I want to want to use one of those big fat cross-ups. So finally, when the other side comes in, and I've got in the way that I first built it out with just the the written cards, as I start replacing them, I can blow his head off 15 times because he's wandering back and forth across this thing and you could kill him straight away. So we've got to now hide it and disguise him. I have to sort of throw out what I did earlier and start rearranging it so that I just want to use him for this bit where he's tucks the, the target tucks in behind a wall. Or as he's moving from this side of his living room to the other side, I want to be an extreme wide shot rather than a close-up where you could go bang, 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 bang. So there's ways of starting to disguise the point of the scene, which is to kill the guy so that you can stretch it all longer. David would text me and go, hey, try the Smiths How Soon Is Now on this. Do vertical sound editing, so hit it in full blast on his POVs. My process is purely logistical. That sounds like a fun task. And now I want to make it perfectly work to that music so that each time you get that big guitar riff... No one who can afford me needs to waste time winning me to some cause. I'm like landing on a point. So I put all that together, and by its nature of being really loud on POVs, and then tinny music when we're looking at the coverage of the killer, I've got to put his voiceover on the coverage of him. I serve no God or country. I fly no flag. I go about things the wrong way. If I'm effective, it's because of one simple fact. So I start looking at what are the longer pieces of dialogue. I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna now start working the voiceover to the very end of where he pulls the shot and work backwards from there and go, okay, I've got like a chunk where there's no voice. What am I gonna do about this? Cause there's no rhythm. It's always like the, the voiceover is like a lyrics in a song that if you introduce them and then they vanish and then they come back, but if you're on one key scene, it can feel messy. We started to write new bits of dialogue to sort of help repair that. Stick to your plan. Anticipate, don't improvise. Trust no one. Never yield an advantage. So that it was this sort of consistent, steady thing. There were gaps, but it still had its, you know, a, a, a rhythm that had intention. Once we sort of fell in love with this scene in how we were approaching it, we took the discipline of saying POVs are silent. They don't get voiceover. And went back into things that we'd previously done and applied the same rules. So the first time we hear um, the Smith's music, when he uh, walks up and just looks out at dawn at everybody, it's the same thing. We've got POV shots and all of his voiceover I'm saving for his side. 140 million human beings are born every year give or take. So I had to sort of start to recalibrate things. And then when he brings up his scope early and you get the first sort of hint of something sinister, every time he's looking through the scope, at like the little girl walking on the street or the, the security guard, all of those things are all silent. And I'm holding them just a little bit longer than you normally would. All disadvantage 
some of that came from when I used to have the voiceover placed on those shots. They were longer to house voiceover. Everything else, the popping sound like fireworks, breaking of glass, the screams, all disadvantage. And then when I moved them out, it was like, this feels weird. And it's because it's got that intentional discipline to his process where everything is taking this, that tiny bit longer than what's comfortable. And what I loved about that in the end was Ren Kleist, the sound designer. And this be, is, can be rare for sound designers to be able to get this much space. Is there's all of these, when it wasn't filled with a music track, there's all this room for him to design pieces. And normally a movie is always, it's dialogue and it's sewing and it's action and everything. And they're looking for these tiny little bits to enhance it. He had lots and lots of room here to kind of excite this stuff up. Because we'd naturally built in all of these pauses. I also noticed when watching in the intro that it seemed like you started the vo the voiceover. And you said that you established this rule where when we're on Michael, we're doing voiceover. But it seemed like right when you cut to him, you also started the voiceover almost at that exact same frame many times. And I was like, that is something that doesn't usually happen. There was a lot of playing around with how the voice came came in. And it's it's just working it out so that it's really smooth. There's all the fun stuff where he first falls asleep. I'm coming into that scene sort of wide. Dave shot it from every which way but loose. Slowly introducing him. Once we've introduced him, he falls asleep in an extreme sort of close-up where his head goes back. You move your way in through choreography. I squeeze in both sides of the line on it. Because once I get behind him, I can come over to get the coverage from this side of his face and then use a big wide shot from the back, I can get over now to this side of his face. And I'm just using what Dave's given me so that I don't have to keep cutting back to the same setups. And then when you get that close up of him falling asleep, then it's like slam, vertical sound cut. So now once we're wide, I've got this choreography him slowly standing up and then doing his neck crack. And it becomes a game of, I am what I am, neck crack. I am what I am. Or is it, I'm just like Popeye, neck crack. Which bit of voiceover lands best in that moment that shows a hint of violence? There was lots of ones that could work, but then they brought too much silent gap with what follows when he's filling up his water bottle. And so it's just this intricate play of, let me work out the best one to do that moment on and then work backwards with all of the others. But you gotta be really curious and really interested in the outcome to deal with all of this minutia with enthusiasm because it's a moving time. And just when you work it out, then we'll change the voice and something new will be written. And you, you know, you gotta start, you start again. <laughs> and then when you work it all out, Dave will shoot me a text and say, Let's do that a little quicker. And then it's, it's like, okay, well, now when we go to the sink, we, he's not going to walk in on a wide shot anymore. I used to have voiceover on there. Now I'm just going to go straight into a close-up of him turning on the tap. Or, or, 
however I did. So this things start to compress and you've got to reassess how you're doing the voiceover again. So much of what's fun about that is the volume. I mean, I've done a few of those with Dave where a voiceover is leading you through a massive amount of setups. I am so much happier now that I'm dead. A huge amount of coverage. Look at it in terms of economics, really. To be able to shoot so many different locations and different setups that you need to accumulate something that's that long. It takes days and days and days and days of filming. And Dave will see it through. He will make sure that he's got that amount of budget left to do that properly. And it might all add up to two minutes, 90 seconds. So it begins with volume. Then the voiceover is the speed. Like the voiceover is the bouncing ball. And that can nine times out of 10 be the hardest part of doing it, of making sure that you've got the best delivery of every sentence. Nick Dunn took my pride and my dignity and my hope and my money. He took and took from me until I no longer existed. That's murder. Let the punishment fit the crime. We often get into like the slicing and dicing of words into rebuilding how a word starts or ends and you know, what a sentence can be edited three times. That's all very pliable, all that stuff. Secretly create some money troubles. The visual part of it, it's about getting through it at this relentless thing. So it just gets so impressive that it just keeps going. It just keeps changing. <laughs> it comes in slowly, you know, they don't shoot it all in order and they don't, like it's, it's all just as you get it. When you get in a closed space in the cool girl thing, you get into a little tiny room in a toilet in a gas station. There's not much space. So Dave will start to do three cameras. It can be overwhelming when that comes in because that's very much endlessly. You got to you got to search down every sort of angle, every kind of key bit of action. But once you start to work out what the rhythm of the piece is, it becomes sort of clear that none of this is about continuity. It's all about the best pieces. It's all about jump cutting stuff. It's all about pacing through it. Once I had it together, it was great, faster. That was the feat in general. I remember that because there was a piece of music that I had on it and then we ended up in a quiet scene at the end of it. And found himself a newer, younger, bouncier cool girl. You think I'd let him destroy me and end up happier than ever? The music, that's how I would judge how much I tightened it, because the music would spill into this quiet thing. And, uh, and I'd sort of go and measure that and go, oh, look at that, I got like 22 seconds out of there. But nothing's gone. So it's just this compress, compress, compress. You're talking a lot about process. And I think, and you are talking a lot about how you had the luxury of having all of this footage would like complete total coverage and so you kind of can do essentially whatever you want. I think that then goes into what you don't do as a creative choice. The discipline of making sure that you don't go into a direction that's like probably not quite uh, the best thing for this. Uh, what are what would say probably the guardrails that you probably have to keep for yourself when you are, I would say, probably even overwhelmed with this sheer amount of footage? A lot of similarities in what the killer is doing to what I do. It's you just got to go the long way around. You got to understand all of the shots. You got to work out the best pieces of every one of the shots. You got to assemble something that's kind of sucks, that's a little loose. And you got to look at it and go, what's what sucks about this? And then you got to start refining and shaving. And it, as long as there's time, you can always work your way through it. Mm -hmm.